Let's bow for prayer, shall we? Father, we recognize that in the Lord Jesus Christ, we have a Savior worthy of our worship. We recognize as we reach for our Bible that we have a word that is worthy of our confidence and that will change and impact our lives as you speak to us yet again through the message, through the ministry of the Holy Spirit this Christmas season. We commit ourselves to it now in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. I wonder if you can remember maybe as a child making snow angels. Remember making snow angels? Or maybe as a mom, you've looked out the kitchen window and you've watched your children uh, making snow angels. If the snow was deep enough, do you remember that you would find a real clear area that hadn't been marked up and then you would kind of slip into it and then spread your arms and just fall in the snow so that you had a perfect angel and then get up without destroying your marks a snow angel Um, how many of you might be just a little bit embarrassed to raise your hand and say that my all-time favorite tv show was touched by an angel oh you say oh that's so 80s now isn't it and um but we loved it didn't we touched by an angel and it's kind of interesting. Angels are fascinating, aren't they? How many of you have an angel story? You could tell a story about when you believe an angel ministered to you, or maybe you're not sure. We're looking at Christmas stories this December from God's Word, and today we have an angel story. Um, I invite you to turn in our Bibles to the most familiar of all the Christmas past once again which we often encounter in the story of the birth of our Lord, angels. Our tendency is to focus on the people and the personnel involved in the story, Mary, Joseph. We started a couple weeks ago in our Christmas story series with Zechariah and Elizabeth. We were talking about um, being surprised by the plan of God. And then last week we looked at Joseph We talked about being surrendered to the will of God. Today, we want to focus on angels in the story. And we want to recognize that angels teach us a lesson to be satisfied to be in the service of God or to be servants of God. We're going to read our story. To put it in context, let's begin in Luke chapter 2, beginning with verse 1. Our primary text this morning for our, our story time is... Uh, verses 8 through 15, our verses 8 through 15, I thought it would be good for us just to remind ourselves what's happening here, even though, as I referenced, this has to be the most familiar of all of the sections of the Christmas story. It is interesting, isn't it, how limited the amount of ink on the page is given to the very account of the birth of our Lord. John the Baptist, for example, gets more press coverage for his birth than our Lord Jesus. Uh, You'll remind yourselves, won't you, that Luke was not an eyewitness. Luke was a historian, a physician, a detailed guy. He um, comes on the scene following the earthly ministry of our Lord Jesus, and he set out for uh, specifically a friend named Theophilus to put down an orderly account of our Lord's earthly ministry, and uh, he gives us the most detail about the birth of our Lord Jesus Christ, maybe because he was involved in medicine and he was known to be a physician. I take it that he had a notebook, that he had a pencil, that he went around and that he took notes, he interviewed people, he talked to those who were eyewitnesses, And so it's interesting to take his account that was researched and match it up with the eyewitness accounts of the other Gospels. Let's read what Luke recorded for us. 
And uh, let's take in this wonderful story yet again. In those days, Luke chapter 2, verse 1, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. Now, you're familiar, if you have a King James or New King James, the Bible says taxed. Uh, There was a registration that was taking place so that they could be taxed. And uh, that's what they were doing, going back to their hometown. Verse 2, this was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria. And all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth, to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. And in that same region, there were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them and the glory of the Lord shone around them and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace among those with whom he is pleased. And When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And we'll stop right there in the story as that takes in our account of the encounter of the shepherds encountering angels. Once again this week, if you're looking at your notes and you're interested in using that as a listening guide, you'll see that we're using a similar template each week. We want to review the story, and then we want to draw lessons from the story. This week, though, as you watch your notes, you'll see that we have a, uh, an interruption in that sequence, and we have a long section that we're going to deal with that is um, facts, uh, frequent, frequently asked questions. If you use your computer, you search websites, that's kind of a common thing. It's um, becoming more and more common for our audience to be uh, people who don't know what it is to not have computers or smartphones. But when we search a site for information or researching an organization, they often present to us frequently asked questions just to help us become informed. And we click on that so that we can find out more very quickly of what we're looking at. And that's what we're going to do. We are fascinated by angels. Um, If you click on the internet uh, about angels, it's it's endless. The kind of information um, and the different details that are given and people's encounters and the things that people think about angels. Our concern here is what does the Bible say? And isn't it interesting that angels play such a central role to the Christmas story? On your notes, you'll see that I... I listed in the Christmas story the accounts where we, where we see angels, and I'll let you uh, study more further if you're interested with your Bible. I gave you enough verses there to look up to get started. Let's dig into our story, and let's just review what we have here. We see right away as we read our account, and it is a familiar account, isn't it? We see right away that there's two key players. There's shepherds and there's angels, two groups of 
dynamic players here. The first are the shepherds, and it's not hard for us to see right away that, and understand that shepherds are just ordinary people. Shepherds are just ordinary people. We see right away that they were in this region. Uh, verse 8 is where we begin, the same region where Joseph and Mary were coming there in the region of Bethlehem and surrounding Bethlehem. It was characterized by fields and hills filled with flocks of sheep and shepherds. And shepherds were common, coarse, ordinary country folk, hardworking. It says in that region there where the shepherds were out in the field, they were keeping watch over their flock by night. At night, it was one flock. Uh, we can assume that this was multiple shepherds with multiple flocks of sheep. But what they would do after scattering out in the region so that their sheep could feed and take advantage of new grazing areas every day, they would bring them in in the evening outside closer to the village of Bethlehem area, and they would have there a brush and, and briar corral that they would build. I imagine they reused it, added to it as it broke and wore out, and they would wrap that thing up and open it up, and, and then all of the shepherds would bring their sheep into that corral, and they would close it off with the briar fence and then, uh, probably kind of the way we picture the Wild West and cowboys at a, on a cattle drive, uh, they had kind of their cook area and their fires, and there's where the men would lie down and, and bed for the night, and they could gather their sheep together after being scattered all day and hold them close, and then just a, a skeleton crew could keep watch over them during the night from, from wild dogs or hyenas, coyotes, or dirty, rotten sheep stealing thieves that all all be hung and they were there they would watch over their sheep and so it's nighttime it is interesting to think about a, a point that we see in scripture and an illustration for us that is pretty encouraging all of those sheep gathered together in that corral and there they were safe for the evening and then in the morning when they would pull back that briar fence what did the shepherds do they just gave their yippee-yah call to their sheep. They hollered out with their voices, and what did the sheep do? The sheep went to their shepherd. Jesus used that as an illustration. Evidently, the people of that area could picture that, could picture these congregated flocks of sheep, and the shepherds early in the morning, as they broke up and headed out for another day, finding green pastures, calling to their sheep, their dog nipping at their heels, and all of the sheep followed their shepherd and jesus said what my sheep hear my voice and they follow me that's a good illustration isn't it and to remind ourselves that we have a shepherd and that we are kind of sheep who need a shepherd and we should listen for his voice and that's the scene that we have with the shepherds and there they are we see then that that scene in the night hour is interrupted by angels we know that it's angels because it says later there was a whole host of angels. But right away we have in verse 9 that it says that an angel of the Lord appeared to them. And uh, we, we don't know his name. We have two names for angels in the Bible. One is Michael, one is Gabriel. And um, Gabriel introduced himself to Zechariah, didn't he? And said, I am Gabriel. I come from the very presence of the Lord. We'll recall last week when we encountered Joseph as he surrendered to the will of God, 
as it was unfolded through the, the word of God came to him through the angel, that that angel didn't introduce himself by name. Again here, the angel does not give a name. And we don't know that if he's, whether he's hovering in the sky. We don't know if he's got his feet on the earth. And it appears that there was one spokesperson angel. And maybe at this point, only that one angel. Let's remind ourselves that the word angel means messenger. That's literally what the word means. Almost always in scripture, when the word angel is used, it is used in reference to a created spirit being that lives in heaven and does the bidding of God. Angels are pretty common in scripture. About a hundred times, a little over 100 times in the Old Testament, we encounter angels. In the New Testament, even more so, almost 165 times in the New Testament, we encounter angels. The word angel means messenger, and that is used almost always in scripture of a spirit being. Sometimes that spirit being, like in the case here, becomes visible. Angels are created beings, but they live in the metaphysical world outside of the laws of the physics of this world. They are metaphysical, and they live in the spirit world, but God allows them sometimes to put on an appearance. It, is, it seems in Scripture that it is almost always in the form of a male human. One of the questions I don't have in my facts section is, do angels have wings? Now, we're going to see that there is a category of angels, at least, that have wings, but Every time we have an angel, angel encounter in Scripture, it appears that they look like a common man, like a man, uh, and they don't have wings. I don't know what they have in the spirit world. We don't have documentation of that, and the Bible doesn't tell us. So we have all of these encounters uh, with angels, messengers of God. Now, we do have a couple of occasions in Scripture where the word angel is used a couple different ways. One way for people who are messengers, the most familiar that I think you can relate to off the top of your head, are the seven churches, the letter to the seven churches in the book of Revelation. And there it is written to the angels, to the angel of, excuse me, not angels, but angel of, meaning the messenger of. And many Bible students believe that that is probably talking about the lead pastor or the head elder, the one who does the speaking mostly at that church, the messenger of that church, the servant of that church. There's also another category how the word angel is used in Scripture, and it's, it's kind of a difficult one to grasp, but many Bible students believe that there is a category of of the usage of the word angel, sometimes it'll say, uh, the angel of the Lord appeared. And when you look in the context, and Bible students will sometimes say, that is not really an angel, that is a, a, an appearance of the pre-incarnate Christ. So what do I mean by pre-incarnate? Before Bethlehem, before Jesus, the second member of the Godhead, before he was born of Mary, in the Old Testament, we have some occurrences where people like Abraham, for example, saw and spoke with this angel-like character, and it appears from the context that it is the Lord himself that is there speaking. And so Bible students will conclude that is not an angel, that is a pre-incarnate or pre-Bethlehem form, image, physical appearing of the second member of the Godhead, the Lord Jesus Christ. And those are kind of interesting to study, and we're not really going to talk about that today. We're talking about angels like you're thinking of, angels with wings. And uh, we're talking about angels in the story here. 
and how fascinating they are. So angels are messengers, and we see as messengers, they literally live out their name because they are sent from the presence of God. We already got that from Gabriel. And as we look down at verse 9, we have an angel of the Lord, not the angel of the Lord. That's usually what, that's usually what categorizes the, the um, theophanies or the pre-incarnate appearing of Christ as an angel. This is an angel of the Lord. And so he comes from the presence of the Lord. We see later in the passage that they are going to go back to heaven. And so angels are sent by God on mission. Secondly, we recognize that it is likely that it was very sudden that this happened. Later on, when this angel is joined by the host of the heavenly angels there in the sky, I take it, that those did not land their feet on the ground. It is possible that this angel had his feet on the ground. It's nighttime. It's dark. We know that the shepherd responds with fear, and the first thing the angel has to say is, do not be afraid. I've told this story probably for 23 years in a row here at Christmas time, but it relates in my mind to the first time I visually saw this in a play, in a Christmas program, as about seven years of age, on a Sunday after church, Sunday morning church over, we would gather back at our church and get on our rickety old yellow school bus. It's about 1967 at our little Bible church, and nearly our entire church could fit on that bus, and that bus had already been used that morning for a, a boys' Sunday school classroom, and we would drive up from 147th Street South in the suburbs of Chicago up past Comiskey Park, and we would go there into downtown Chicago, and there we would go to the great moon. Bible Institute. You've heard of it? And there the students had their great choirs and their programs for Christmas. And in, from our little Bible church, we loved it. It was great. And there the shepherds would come on with their curved staves. And, and, then, and then all of a sudden, kabam, the angels would appear and the timpanies would play and the lights would flash. And, and I would just about fold up in my theater seat, jumping out of there because I was startled and i take it that it was sudden and it was startling here of what happened and they were afraid but after the angel calms down the shepherd we recognize that it is a significant message that he has notice what it says and the angel verse 10 said to them fear not for behold i bring you notice how personal that message is i bring you good news of great joy that will be for what's the next word it will be for all people that's why we took time out of our morning worship service to focus on world evangelism and missions. It's because men and women and boys and girls in the villages of Togo, West Africa, are part of the all people of this passage. That he came for all people everywhere. And notice, he came for you and he came for all This is good news of great joy that shall be for, there it is again, all people there it is, all people. He's going to repeat, for unto you is born this day as he personalizes the message. So it was sudden and it's significant because it is for all people. It is a global message. It is a global task that we have at hand here. The story con continues in its significance, number four, because there is a Savior that he's talking about. Now notice verse 11, for unto you, talking to the shepherds, right? Unto you, shepherds, is born this day in the city of David. They knew that was Bethlehem, 
a Savior, Messiah, that matches up exactly with what we heard last week when the angel, maybe the same angel, we don't know, told Joseph in Matthew 121, in his dream, clarifying for him what was happening to his betrothed one who was pregnant, she will bear a son and you shall call his name Jesus for he will save his people from their sins. This is a savior that's being born. Christ the Lord, that is Kyrios, Lord Adonai, Christ the Lord. This is God in the flesh. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, Christ the Lord. Savior from what? From my sin. So that I can be counted in the category of verse 14, where God says through the, through the praise of the angels, on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. The only person that God is pleased with is one whose sin is forgiven in Christ. Christ the Lord. What a significant message. We have a Savior. We did it last week, I think, didn't we? Did we quote John 3.16 together last week? I think we ought to do it again. For God, to be with me, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in him, should not perish, but have everlasting life. That whosoever, that's all people, believeth in him. That's also you. Uh, For unto you is born this day, unto all is born this day. You know, sometimes in child evangelism or sometimes in adult evangelism, we'll open our Bible and we'll take John 3.16 and we'll say, now let's, let's change the words a little bit. Let's put your name in there. For God so loved Tommy. For God so loved Tommy that he gave his only begotten son that if Tommy would believe in him, whosoever, all you, Tommy, would believe in him, Tommy shall not perish, but Tommy will have everlasting life. What a message that God is intercepting and interrupting the course of damnation that is due all sinners and he's going to implant his son in this world to be a worthy sacrifice to go to the cross to take our sin that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. That's the message the shepherds heard. That is a significant message, isn't it? About our Savior. Notice that there was a sign given to them then. There was a sign, and the sign was that the baby would be wrapped in swaddling cloths, lying in a manger. That's pretty easy to define. You know, sometimes if I leave the door open, Janet will say, what? Were you born in a barn? I say, no, I wasn't born in a barn. But if I were, or my mom might say that. Janet maybe has never said it to me in my life. I don't know. (laughs) You say that to your kids, right? She should say it to me once in a while. Were you born in a barn? What's wrong with you? Were you born in a barn? Well, Jesus was born in a barn. It's not all bad, is it? And there he is, wrapped in these cloths. Some say tradition, and that's how they handled babies. Some say even a prophetic statement of his grave clothes. Wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger... You'll be able to find this baby. This is the right one because he's born in a barn and he's lying in a manger. And so 
Then the next thing that happens, here's that suddenness, verse 13. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among men with whom he is pleased. He is pleased with those who have accepted the gift of his son. And then the angels went away from them into heaven, it says. They went back to heaven. I take it they could do that in a nanosecond. And the shepherds said, let's go. Let's go find this baby. And they become the first evangelists as they spread the news of what they saw that night and that Kyrios Adonai had been born. A Savior, the Lord Jesus, was born. There's our story. The shepherds, ordinary people. What a good illustration right there, isn't it? That God loves all people and gave his son for all people no matter your social status. And then these angels that we often just kind of roll through the story and we kind of forget about it, and it kind of brings to mind questions. What about these angels? And I thought we would take a few minutes today and do our fact section, and the first thing we're asking is, when did God create angels? Where did they come from? Well, they are created beings. Colossians 1.16 says that God created all things, and nothing was created without him. We know from Genesis 1 as well. So they are created beings when we don't know. The Bible really doesn't express to us in detail when angels were created. Uh, In Job 38, verses 4 through 7, you can read that on your own time. It is implied there in the order of the verse that they were present at creation. And the psalmist said in 148.2, and there, kind of the order, it appears that it's, you could argue that angels were created before the stars were. We do know by Genesis chapter 3 that Satan, who I believe uh, was Lucifer, Cast out of heaven, son of the morning, who was a beautiful, bright cherub angel. Um, He was a a high-ranking angel that rebelled in his pride. Evidently, there was a, a conflict there somewhere, either about the time of creation or right before creation. And God cast out of heaven Lucifer and evidently uh, many rebellious angels. And we'll talk a little bit more about that in a few minutes. But we don't know exactly when they were created. We can ask the question as well, why did God create angels? They're kind of of interesting, aren't they? These spirit beings. It's kind of a woo kind of thing. But what is that all about, these angels? I think the short answer is that angels were created for two primary reasons. One, to serve, and the other, to worship. Uh, They serve and they worship. Angels are servants of the living God and angels are worshipers of the living God and they were created beautifully just for that task I mean when you think about angels involved in scripture and serving God in scripture uh, there's there's all kinds of um, different illustrations of how God in the Old Testament used angels as his servants one that I was thinking of was like the death angel Uh, when Israel was leaving and exiting Egypt and the death angel came. Some people think that was a pre-incarnate form of Christ. It could have been. We know earlier than that, even in, in the garden, that when Adam and Eve sinned and he cast them out, what did he do? He placed an angel east of Eden to make sure they couldn't get in again lest they would eat 
of the tree of life and after having eaten of the tree of good and evil and now having a sinful conscience that they would somehow get a hold of this strange tree that must have been physical in form that had they eaten, they would have then lived forever in that unredeemed state. And he kept them away from it as an act of mercy. So angels are ministering. Some of the more familiar ones that I wanted to just snap off that I thought would come to your mind and you could relate to quickly. By the way, if you're interested in this subject, all you have to do is speak into your phone, you know? Just say, Bible study, angel, all verses. And you'll be ready to roll. With all the verses in the Bible, it's easy to be a lazy Bible student these days, all right? Just speak into your phone, and you can get all the passages of Scripture, and you can look up more verses on your own. I am just giving a snippet or sampling of these to illustrate the point. Why did God create angels to serve and to worship? We know that they ministered to Christ at his temptation, didn't they? They ministered at his temptation. It's a beautiful verse. Matthew 4.11, after this, this brutal 40 days of fasting early on in this ministry, earthly ministry, as he becomes public at age 30. He's in the wilderness. He's tempted by Satan. And he's evidently just wasted by the experience and by the famishing of the fast. And then it says, and angels came from heaven and ministered to him there. It's beautiful. Angels came and refreshed our Lord Jesus. Secondly, the second bullet point is that uh, we remember that they also ministered after the disciples went to sleep repeatedly in the Garden of Eden on the night that he went to the cross. Angels came and ministered to him. Angels will, will accompany our great king as he returns in his second coming. He will be accompanied by a multitude of its mighty angels is referenced. They are called ministering spirits in Hebrews 1.14. And I want to invite you to turn there in your Bibles, please. Hebrews 1.14 is kind of an interesting passage the book of Hebrews is a, a little bit of a challenging book, and it's an interesting book, and um, we don't have time to understand the context, but it's just beginning, and it's helpful to understand what Hebrews is about, to understand this verse a little bit, and you can understand basically the point of Hebrews by this one phrase, Christ is greater. The book of Hebrews, the writer, we don't know who that is, is arguing to these Hebrew believers who want to go back to their Judaism that Christ is greater. There's no need to go back. And they loved Abraham and they loved Moses and they understood angels. And, and the writer begins to argue on these fronts. Christ is greater than the angels. He's greater than Abraham. He's greater than Moses. And when we read right here, he says about um, the angels, has he ever said, to, you show me an angel that God said, come and sit at my right hand. There isn't one. You see, Christ is greater. God did say to Christ, come sit at my right hand. Christ is greater than the angels. And he goes on to say, are they not, speaking of angels in verse 14 of Hebrews 1, are they not all ministering spirits sent out to serve for the sake of those who are to inherit salvation? How many of you have already inherited salvation? If you know Jesus Christ as your Savior, You've entered into your early inheritance already in Christ. Angels are sent out to minister even today to the church. Angels minister to God's people. Sometimes it uses the, the, the elect. It even talks about elect angels a little bit. These angels who are faithful to Christ. And so we see there clearly that they are called ministering spirits. That's what they do. We also know, though, and 
We'll not look these verses up, and this is where you can speak into your phone and, phone and do a quick Bible study. Um, there are a category of angelic beings called cherubim. And these cherubim, they're the ones that w- were identified as guarding the entryway to the Garden of Eden, for example. Seraphim are angels that are evidently created completely and only for the worship of God. So God is so great and God is so worthy of worship. And it's not egocentric. It's, it's, it is his worthiness that demands that there be nonstop worship. And so seraphim were created to just hover around the throne of God and to praise him completely and to cry out, holy, holy, holy. There's another category that does that that are called living creatures, and they surround the throne as well. Angels, if you study seraphim and you study the living creatures, these living creatures are really interesting. They are covered with eyeballs, and they're covered with wings. This is where we get the idea of angels with wings. But we always put them on the back shoulders of a man, like somehow he would be able to get off the ground. The Venturi principle just doesn't work. And so you got all these eyes and you got all these wings. And I picture it that in all of his glory and greatness and majesty, God is to be viewed and looked at. And yet you can't look at him. It's too great. And so they cover with their wings, but then they can't stand it. And they have to, they have to look again because it's so wonderful. But then, they, then their eyes burn like looking in the sun and they cover with their wings. And then they open and they just, and that's what they do. Holy, holy, holy. And they're just these creatures that were designed to just hover and worship and, and proclaim the greatness of our God. Some people comparing living creatures and what's described in Revelation about them and their physical appearance and the seraphim conclude that living creatures are likely seraphim. But we don't know. And so some Bible students have a different category there. But it is interesting and why, clearly why he created angels was to, be, was to serve and to worship. Thirdly, are angels omnipresent? And the answer to that question is no. Omnipresent means that you can be everywhere present at the same time. And no, they are created beings, and so they are are part of and inside of creation, even though they're metaphysical and in the spirit world. The spirit world was created just like the physical world. But God is uncreated, and so because he's uncreated, he cannot have limits, because if he were created, he would have limits. And so only an uncreated being can be omnipresent. Okay, that'll be on the exam. And so we also know from Scripture that they travel and that they are sent ones. And so, so they are in one location, and God says, you go there. And we have multiple illustrations in Scripture of that. Fourthly, are angels omnipotent? That means all-powerful. Or do they have limits to their power? They absolutely have limits to their power. Um, they are not omnipotent, but they have great power. And I was thinking this morning as I reviewed my notes of another passage I should have put in there that is familiar. I was trying to use passages that you could picture in your mind's eye as we rolled through here um, of Daniel in the lion's den. Isn't that Daniel 6? And there Daniel is cast into the pit where these hungry lions are and the king is grieving over his stupidity and allowing his best man to be devoured by cats. And it would be a bad way to die, wouldn't it? Cats. How did he die? The cats ate him. (laughs) 
These are lions, they're big cats. And what does it say? It says that God sent an angel. It's an unbelievable moment for Daniel. In the darkness with these beasts, and God shuts their mouths. He uses an angel. That's power. That's power. Uh, He says um, in Psalm 103, they are described as mighty ones. Angels are mighty ones. In Daniel 10 and Jude 9, angels clearly are described as doing battle with Satan and his forces. In Acts chapter 5 and in Acts chapter 12 are two of even of just several accounts where apostles were imprisoned and angels came and released them out of prison. The most familiar you can probably picture is when Peter was released in the middle of the night. That's when he went to where there was a prayer meeting where the people were praying in the middle of the night. The angel walks in, opens the gates, the shackles fall off his arms, and the angel tells him to put his coat on and let's go. And then he goes over down the street to where the church was gathered praying. He knocks on the door. They send a girl down to answer the door. And Peter's at the door and says, can I come in? She opens the little slot. And she shuts the slot, runs upstairs and says, an angel of Peter is at the door. That's us, isn't it? We're praying. We're praying all night long. Lord, would you release Peter and save his life? And Peter knocks on the door. And we slam it shut and say, couldn't be. It has to be an angel. It's funny, isn't it, how we are? There's Peter at the door, and an angel did all of that. That's power. That's power. An angel removed the stone from Christ's tomb. We can all picture that. Here's the question you're waiting for. Are guardian angels for real? Turn to Psalm 91, and let me give you my answer. It is yes, and it is no. Oh, Pastor Van, come on. Psalm 91 is a wonderful passage. You need to know this section. We often, sometimes we call it a soldier's psalm. Men who are heading into battle or, or airmen heading into danger will often read together or their chaplain will read with them and pray with them and read Psalm 91 before they head off into harm's way. This is part of it that is so comforting. Verse 11 and 12. For he, that's God... He will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways. On their hands they will bear you up lest you strike your foot against a stone. So, yes, God uses his angels to guard his people. And and God sends angels to protect his children is what the line is there. God sends angels to protect his people, but you need to understand that there really is no, there is no substantial scriptural support at all that you have a personal angel. All right, and so angels evidently can come and go at the command of our heavenly Father in response to prayer and in answer to prayer, or in in times of need. Sometimes we're not even aware that we need help, and God will send an angel to rescue us. I've told you a while back, I told you about mowing on a steep bank and it was wet towards evening. I lost control of my big zero-turn mower and I was flipping on the edge, hit the edge of a culvert and I was going to drop down into a relatively deep culvert on concrete, my mower on top of me, no roll bar or seatbelt on. And, and I thought it was over and I felt my mower come past the center of gravity and I said, maybe out loud, here we go. 
And it was over, and I could feel my mower coming past center of gravity, and then all of a sudden it sat down and whipped around, and I went down the bank, my heart just pounding. It took, it took over an hour for me to calm down. It's very possible that an angel was involved. I have no idea. I didn't see one. But it's possible that God used an angel right there to rescue. And right now, we could go through the room and you have your stories. You have no explanation for why it was that at this particular moment, when everything seemed over and there was no hope and it was lost and you lost your grip, that all of a sudden, there you were standing firm and all was well. Or your car was righted or you spun out of control and you were ready to hit the wall, but you didn't hit the wall. What happened? God maybe sent an angel to protect his child right then and there. I take it that angels fill the air. The Bible does say that they observe us. They are observing the church. And it is interesting, isn't it? And so we don't know exactly, but do they have an angel? You know, hey, angel packs, you're assigned to Sobolski. And he says, oh, you got to be kidding me. Spend my whole life taking care of this guy. No, I don't think it's that way. I think that angels minister and tend to God's people, but I don't think it's really accurate to say that I have a personal angel who's flittering around me all the time. God is always aware of my presence. He's always with me. The Bible says clearly that he will never leave me or forsake me, not my guardian angel. Is it possible for loved ones, and let's click off the rest here, is it possible that loved ones who have died are guardian angels? Or is it, even adding to the question, is it possible that believers in Christ, when they die, turn into angels? Uh, There's no biblical evidence of that. In fact, it's the other way. The Bible would teach otherwise. I want to be really gentle with my answer on this one because it's emotional. It is um, many people find comfort And when their loved one passes away of thinking to themselves, even if it's a small child, and sometimes particularly if it's a child, they will comfort themselves and say, now now the Lord has another precious angel to use, or we have another angel watching over us. Maybe you've said that. And maybe, you know, you, you know maybe it's really not in the Bible, but you like to think that because it brings comfort A little bit like going to the cemetery and standing near the grave of your loved one and talking with them. And maybe you can almost hear their voice in your head and it brings comfort to you. And you think in a way they kind of can hear and see what you're doing. Really, in Scripture, there's no evidence of that whatsoever. That's really not true. In fact, the Bible would teach otherwise. And we do it even sometimes when we know it's not true because it brings comfort to us. But no, the answer is no. There's no evidence in Scripture that a loved one who dies can then become like a guardian angel to us. That's very common in our world today. And if you were, would Google on angels on the Internet, it is unbelievable all the stuff you can read about angels that is absolutely unbiblical. Are demons fallen angels? Are demons fallen angels? The answer to that is yes, and most likely And the reason I say most likely, we won't take the time to turn there. In Jude 6, Jude verse 6 says that that the ungodly angels were cast out of heaven, but it goes on to say that they were captured and kept in a pit until the end days when they'll be released. And there's no verse that says that 
fallen angels are, are joined up with Satan, teaming up with Satan in the forces of darkness, that they are fallen angels, we have to surmise that. That's our best conclusion. That when Lucifer rebelled and that other angels joined him, and we don't know how many angels there are, we know that there are myriads of angels, just uncountable numbers of angels, hosts of angels, and that evidently myriads of angels joined Lucifer in his rebellion. They were rejected and ejected out of heaven, and that many of them were were put in captivity, Jude 6. There's no verse that says some were let go, but the evidence is of demon possession and so forth that these spirit beings are there. Where did they come from? The best surmising is, is that they are ungodly angels who were kicked out of heaven. But we don't have an exact verse. So that's why I say there that um, it is most likely. Can angels marry and propagate? No, they cannot. The Bible's clear on that. Um, They do not seem to live in family units, and they seem to be sexless beings. They are represented, according to Scripture, most often when seen in the physical world as a male. A man, a male man, M-A-L-E man, not an M-A-I-L man. Do angels appear to people today? Do angels appear to people today? And since this is the third service, let's take time to turn to one more passage, Hebrews chapter 13, and we are wrapping up. And uh, we'll have to probably give Tim Laymaster a little better raise this year. (laughs) Hebrews chapter 13, as he oversees our junior church for an extra 10, 15 minutes here. Hebrews 13 is a really neat verse. And I want you to see it. Hebrews 13, 2, as he reminds us in verse 1 of Hebrews 13 to let brotherly love continue, he says, Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unawares. Is that a cool verse or what? I, I can't really explain it too much. But when you ask the question, if you were to ask the question, Do angels appear to people today? I have to say, Yes. Probably, most likely. And the fact is that they most often then would appear as a real human being, and you don't know that it's an angel. And he's just saying, when strangers come, and I don't know if the Lord does that to test us, why else, why would he send an angel our way? Sometimes in times of need, and here's where the stories begin again, sometime if you can corner her, get Carolyn McKenzie to tell her, tell you her angel story of a man that came to her in a parking lot when her car wouldn't start and then disappeared. And so there's physical appearance and they're there and you could even evidently entertain an angel in your home and not even know it. Should we worship angels? Absolutely not. Should we worship angels? Do not worship angels. Do not pray to angels. Do not do that. One example is in the church at Colossae In Colossians, they were strongly exhorted to knock that off because some of them had started into this cult of worshiping angels. That was number 10. There's a warning related to that in Scripture. Do not receive false doctrine from supposed angels as well. Sometimes people say angels told them things. In fact, an entire religious system, a major religious system, the Church of Jesus Christ and Latter-day Saints, is built on this premise that a young boy back in the 1800s up in New York 
had an angel appear to him and he told him that he, he was going to be used to straighten out a corrupt church and gave him new doctrines that he wrote down that is the Book of Mormons and so forth. And so they'll say that an angel told them and the Apostle Paul could not be more clear in Galatians chapter 1 verse 8 that even if an angel comes to you and gives you a different gospel, do not receive it. So our lessons, we finally make it to our second part of our sermon, our lessons section. Let's quickly, you can grab this quickly. And I think it's worth thinking through a little bit on your own time. I think that, number one, angels are a wonderful example of first command obedience. They are a wonderful example to us. Right now, angels, the psalmist said that man was created a little bit lower than the angels largely because of our physical limitations. But one day we are in our redeemed eternal state, the Bible says, we are going to rule over the angels. Now, but angels, angels, we're talking about righteous angels, God's angels in heaven, his messengers and his worshipers. They are first command servants. And we love for our children to be first command obeyers, don't we? Mommy said, you do this. First command obedience. Ah, but how many times does God have to say something to us to get it? The angels are first command obeyers. How about God's redeemed ones? He's spoken to us. Let's be like the angels and let's be obeyers. Let's not delay. Let's not grumble. Let's be first command obeyers. Secondly, I think from angels we have modeled the joy of servanthood. The joy of servanthood. Um, uh, would you agree with me that maybe the greatest thing that anybody would ever be able to say about you at the end of your life is that you were a servant of the Lord Jesus Christ? You know, you don't live long. It's only the dash on the tombstone. You have a date of birth, and then you live your dash, and then boom, you got your final date, and I can feel it coming. It's fast. How great is it? How great would it be on... Your tombstone, if they would say, this was a servant of Christ. Angels are first command, obedient servants. Why not his redeemed ones? First command, obedient servants of Christ, and it characterizes us as to who we are. Who's that guy over there? He's a servant of Christ. Like an angel. I was put here to serve and to worship, and that's good enough for me. What do you do? I serve and I worship Christ. Oh, I have to weld for a paycheck. Thirdly, I think that angels beautifully portray for us privileged, endless, enthusiastic worship of God. They worship God right now. They can witness our worship. I would say that this is a reason to sing with joy and enthusiasm that angels are here witnessing us right now. Angels have witnessed our orchestra, our choir, our congregation in singing today. And I wonder if they were like, that's a boring group of people, man. Can't wait to show them how to sing because they know how to sing to God. Why wouldn't the redeemed ones? Do you know that angels do not get the redemptive plan quite fully yet? They still don't. Peter says 
that they long to look into the things that brought salvation. In other words, they don't get why the second member of the Godhead would put on flesh and become born of Mary. They don't get that. It's still a puzzle. Evidently, angels still stand around the coffee pot and talk about, why, why do you think, what, what was it again? Why did, why did he do it for them? Because they see us and they watch us. They can see you in your home. The Bible supports this clearly. And they are actually learning about salvation from us. Now, they don't, they're not going to be redeemed through the blood of Christ like we are. They were created and they're static. That's who they are. But we were born again through the shed blood of Christ who was born of Mary, the one who went to the cross. And the angels are learning from us. Let's learn from them how to worship and what a day that will be, huh? Can you imagine the orchestras of heaven and the endless hosts, the myriads and multitudes of the angels, and then all of the saints of all ages, how we will sing and praise God. It just gives you goosebumps to think about it, doesn't it? It's beyond our imagination. What a great day that will be when my Jesus I will see and I'll sing with the angels. Amen? Amen. Let's stand and close in prayer, please. Well, Father, would you encourage our hearts today through the Christmas story yet again that we would know what it is to simply be satisfied to be your servants. We know what it is to be surprised by your plan. We want to be surrendered to your will. Help us to be satisfied to serve. Thank you for the model and the demonstration and example that we have through the angels in this brief a review of a biblical study of angels. And we do look forward to the day that we'll be with you, and I pray, Lord, that we would live out our dash now effectively as servants and worshipers, especially this Christmas. In Jesus' name we pray.